Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insight, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour Podcast, and I'm your host, Cole Sharman. Today we are joined by Zane Lackey. Zane is the co-founder and chief security officer at Signal Sciences. He also serves on the advisory board of the Internet Bug Bounty Program and the US State Department-backed Open Technology Fund. Prior to Signal Sciences, Zane was the director of security engineering at Etsy and a senior security consultant at ISEC Partners. He has been featured by BBC, Forbes and Wired, as well as a frequent speaker at Black Hat, RSA and Microsoft Blue Hat. Hope you enjoy it. Beecher Madden are recruiters for cybersecurity and corporate governance professionals. Leveraging our long-held relationships, industry knowledge and data-driven approach, we help companies and candidates make better hiring decisions. So hi, Zane. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. So let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? Yeah, I was born on, uh, in, in the States on the, the West Coast. Um, I was actually born in Alaska, but grew up in California. Tell us about your parents' careers. Yeah, my, my parents' careers were actually uh, quite, quite fascinating. Uh, they actually decided in the uh, early to mid-70s to become fishermen in Alaska, uh, despite no real background in that whatsoever, uh, which probably has to be the most random uh, career choice I could ever think of. Uh, and so they, they actually did that successfully for a number of years uh, and then started uh, a number of their own businesses uh, over over time after that. Amazing. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I've got about 101 questions in my head right now. Are we going to move on? <laughs> See both, and I, uh, and I know the answer is there, and I still have questions about it. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> so where did you grow up? Was it on the West Coast? Yeah, grew up on the West Coast in California in a, in a very small town. Okay, what was your education like? Uh, so I, I went to school there, and then I went to university in California as well, uh, UC Davis, um, because they had, uh, amongst, other, amongst other things of just kind of liking the school and the campus, they had one of the only uh, computer security programs at the time. I mean, I'm, I'm dating myself now, but uh, back then there just were not that many dedicated uh, computer security courses or labs or anything like that in, in the university system there. And when you stepped out of education, what was your, you know, can you remember the thoughts? Like, what was you thinking? What did you want to go and do? Did you get job offers as soon as you come out? I was extremely fortunate that the um, the first job that I had out of school was absolutely amazing. Um, I was actually the uh, the first hire at a security consultancy called ISEC Partners, uh, which ended up getting acquired by another consultancy called NCC Group, based out of the UK. Um, and my my colleagues at the time, the the five founders of the company were folks like Alex Stamos, who's now the, the CISO of Facebook, uh, and a number of uh, his peers that were all kind of the regional office of a previous consultancy called At Stake, uh, which was like really famed for 
the the people that were involved. It was kind of a, a golden age of security there. And so I got to learn from and work with these absolutely fascinating, tremendous people. Uh, and it really, I mean, for someone just coming out of school, that was, you couldn't ask for a better opportunity. No, I can imagine. What is cybersecurity to you? Oh, cybersecurity to me, that's, that's interesting because I, I think I've been really fortunate to kind of live on multiple sides of that. I think that cybersecurity, um, there's kind of the offensive side and the, the defensive side. Um, and the two are really um, intrinsically linked between them. Um, and so I, I think that I've been really fortunate that cybersecurity to me means kind of the, the intertwining of offense and defense of, and how, how do people attack systems and how do people defend systems and how do people attack organizations and how do people defend organizations. Um, and it's, it's something that I've been very fortunate throughout my career to be able to live on different sides of that. And I think it, it gave a really, um, really useful perspective uh, between the two sides. When did you first hear of cybersecurity? <laughs> uh, I can remember the the exact moment. Um, I was what twelve or thirteen. Um, I had just spent. This is the the mid nineties. Uh, so I had just spent months and months and months trying to get a very early version of Linux that had come on floppy disks and. Again, I'm dating myself here, but uh, I had spent <laughs> months trying to get that uh, connected to the internet because at the time there was no documentation for any of this sort of stuff. Um, there was, you know, you had to mess with drivers and the Linux kernel and all sorts of things. And eventually I got my modem to work with Linux and work with my ISP and get dialed up to the internet. And, uh, you know, it'd been months of trying to get this to work. And I get online and I, I join. Uh, an IRC uh, channel with a bunch of friends. And the first thing that, you know, I'm so proud of myself. I had spent all these months. I finally got it to work. Uh, and the first thing that happens is someone hacks into my, my Linux system and just shuts it down. Uh, and, you know, within minutes of getting online and thinking that I was so cool and so smart for getting this done. And that was just a absolute light bulb moment. I, I kind of knew that this is what I was going to be passionate about for the rest of my life right there, as, as cliche as it sounds. Um, and it was it was absolutely fascinating. I, I really, I decided I was going to learn how they did that, and I was going to learn how to defend against it. And that was really, I mean, I, I was so fortunate that even from that really early age that I knew what I was passionate about, and I, I knew what I was going to do from, from then on. That's, that's, yeah, that's pretty amazing. And, it, and it's interesting that it was in the mid-90s when a lot of people that, that I speak to, probably like you, think it's just a, it's still quite a, uh, uh, you know, a new buzzword. Um, so yeah. I think, it's, oh, I think it's, it's quite interesting to see how long it's taken for, for cybersecurity to become more mainstream. Oh, definitely. If you If you could have told, you know, early teenager me that it would have this much influence on the world uh, there is no way i would have believed you on that <laughs> yeah so so you discussed cybersecurity as a term but what do you what does cybersecurity risk mean to you yeah i think to me from kind of putting on a, a my ciso hat there and thinking about risk in terms of risk to the organization it's really it's really risk to the business, right? And risk to the business has existed in a lot of different ways throughout history. Uh, you know, to 
to banks, it might be the the, the bank vault going back at uh, you know fifty years or hundred years or something like that. To other organizations, it might be the risk of not being able to deliver products on time or not be able to to move as fast as your competition or or things like that. And so, cybersecurity really, to me, for businesses in particular, and I've got to kind of scope my answer a bit just because it's such a broad question. But I think to to most um, enterprises today. Cybersecurity is a a real form of risk to their business, and it has kind of become such a large risk in such a short amount of time that I think we're all really struggling with the effects of that, that there's not enough people, there's not enough uh, effective products or tools or techniques, and that the, the world on that side is really changing so fast that you've got a risk to your business um, that is very challenging to, uh, to mitigate and try to really... Um, yeah, try to really mitigate. What would be the main reasons why an organization should be investing into security? Yeah, I think there's there's a number of answers to that question. I mean, it can be, depending on your business, it can be foundational to your business, right? I, I think at one end of the spectrum would be something like the, the Bitcoin or blockchain companies where, you know, if the assets get stolen, that's it. The company's done, right? And, and they're gone. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, there's folks where you know it really it can severely damage the the customer's trust in you or your brand reputation or or things like that. Um, and I think really where most organizations fall is somewhere in the middle, where it can have grave damage to your business, uh, also really impact your uh, your customers' trust in you. But it's everything in the middle that really impacts the business if you have a breach or some sort of incident, which is all of the kind of uh, the legal entanglements that happen as part of that, uh, the all of the business initiatives that you were planning for the next 12 to 18 months, say goodbye to those. Those are all going out the window and you're going to be in pure reaction mode to kind of adapting your business around a particular breach or things like that. Um, your roadmap and your ability to, to move quickly against your competitors, um, those are all really the the key pieces, I think, to any sort of business. You know, a lot of times you see in the press focus on uh, share price or stock price as being uh, something that, that ties to breach. And honestly, from from my seat and, and ha having lived as a CISO in numerous organizations, the share price is really the irrelevant bit. That might dip immediately. Almost uniformly, what you see is that it comes back over time. Um, but really, the impact is that it's it's everything internal to the business. It's all of the the, the legal uh, bits that are going to be um, involved now. It's you know your the the features or the products you're planning to bring to market. Your entire engineering organization is going to be you know completely shifted around because of having to react to the breach and probably build features around that or re-architect some sort of system. So it really impacts the business in almost every way except the, the share price in a lot of cases. Now, sometimes it you know distinctly impacts the share price or something there. Um, I'm not saying that's that, that doesn't get impacted, but you, you tend to see a lot of kind of press focus on share price when I think for those of us who have been CISOs and kind of worked with the board and worked with management on um, what happens after a breach, share price is almost the irrelevant bit because everything else is really changing so so heavily. When a well, majority of companies are looking to do some sort of transformation. Um, so we just we just discussed there in terms of why organisations should invest. But I guess there's a fear of when transformations are going on, 
that security is going to hold that back or, you know, and it becomes more of a compliance part of a business? You know, mm -hmm. what, what's your thoughts on that and how to get around that? Yeah, I think... I think every business is really going either going through or recognizing that they're going through real transformation right now, um, really in the way on the technology side and in the way that they create and deliver software to their customers. Uh, that might be actual software or it might just be you know, the, a website or the mobile app that a customer interacts with you through or a partner, you know, a B2B uh, client interacts with you through. Um, I think that kind of broader digital transformation, it takes a lot of different um, journeys. There might be the, the cloud journey, there might be the agile or DevOps journey. Uh, and as part of that, there's really kind of two questions that I see shaking out. One is that, is this going to make us less secure, right? Is, is security is a, a top concern during this? And I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. And then the other question really is, is security going to be a blocker as part of that? Um, and so to the first point, uh, and this is this was certainly a controversial opinion a number of years ago, I, I think much less so now, uh, but the transformation around cloud and DevOps actually can make our organizations more secure. Um, the less that we have to manage ourselves, whether that's data centers or you know, slow changing applications that are built in kind of waterfall methodologies where they only change once every 12 or 18 months, and we're going to this world where we might host uh, our software, our infrastructure up in the cloud, uh, and now our, our development teams, our DevOps teams are changing those applications every month or every week or every day. Um, that can, it feels very scary at first, uh, but it can actually make us more secure. I mean, this was something that I had to live as a, a journey as a CISO where um, when, I, when I left um, that consulting role with ISEC Partners, um, I went, uh, my last project was with a major U.S. healthcare company that only changed their applications once every 18 months. And so if there was a critical, you know, if there was a vulnerability that was discovered or anything like that, they said, great, we'll throw it in the roadmap and we'll fix it in 18 months or 24 months or whenever that was actually, whenever the next one was going to be. And I left there on a Friday and I started on Monday as the, the new CISO for uh, Etsy. And Etsy at the time, this was eight, eight nine years ago. Um, at the time, it was Etsy on the East Coast of the U.S. and Netflix on the West Coast of the U U.S. that were pioneering what we're all now calling DevOps and, and cloud. And so I left that, that healthcare on a Friday. I started at Etsy on a Monday, um, and they sat me down and said, hey, we are making changes to our production applications 20 times a day. Uh, figure out how security is going to work in that, uh, which was, you know, at the time, I thought almost an impossible ask. Right. I, I was very much um, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I was very much of the mindset at the time uh, that, hey, these more changes are, are going to make us absolutely insecure and, and going to the cloud is going to make us absolutely insecure. And what I really learned out of that is in any development methodology or any infrastructure methodology, we're always going to have vulnerabilities. And so the systems that allow us to react and move the quickest are actually the ones that make us the safest. Because we're always gonna have vulnerabilities, so do we want it to, to take 18 months to fix, or do we want to be able to do that the next day, or the next week, next month? And so that was really a major learning experience for me. And, and coming back to your question now, you know, I think that for a lot of organizations, and especially for a lot of security leadership and, and boards potentially as well, there's a fear that, 
hey, if we're moving to cloud or we're seeing our engineering group start to embrace agile or DevOps, is this going to be a net negative for security? And I can tell you from having lived through it myself and having to go through that myself, it can actually really be a net positive for security. Let me reverse the question. How can we, how can we keep up with security innovation with many providers coming into the market, new ideas, without that holding an organization back as well? Yeah, there's, there's kind of a couple sides there. I think there's the you know innovation of, of vendors and everything like that. And I think there there's also the other side, which is just shifting the security mentality from being that blocker and that gatekeeper uh, to actually focusing on how do we enable the business to move faster. And I think that's the most important shift to get right, because that is a real strategic shift in the way, in the role that security plays inside the organization. And then bringing in new tools or products or techniques fall out underneath that. But if you're just trying to bring in a new tool and you haven't really gone through this shift yet of saying security's fundamental role is that it used to be a blocker and a gatekeeper, its fundamental role is now shifting to how does it enable the business to move even faster? And you have to get the strategy right before you can get the, the tactics right. And the, the tactics are you know, bringing in new tools and everything there. And so to that side of the question, I think it's really, I mean, I, I know, uh, as a CISO, it's very challenging to spot uh, new things because there's just so much noise in the market. And so I think what a lot of us tend to do is really rely on chatting with other peers uh, and really seeing you know, what new tools or products are people having success with. Uh, because, I mean, I'm, the, I'm now a, a CISO at a, a product company, and even I get flooded by vendors every day. So let alone when you're the CISO of not a product company. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. So moving on to your company, how does Signal Sciences uh, help companies understand and deal with some of these challenges? Yeah, so why don't I kind of give you our, our journey and where we come from, and then I, I think that really starts to answer the question, which is my own journey, like I said, I, I went from security consulting and pen testing, then in-house as a CISO and, and built and ran one of the, the first organizations first security organizations going through the shift to DevOps and cloud. Um, what we found during that time is our risk was really moving from the infrastructure layer where we had bought firewalls and IDSs and things like that in the past up to the application layer. So up to the, uh, the web applications and the APIs and then eventually the, the microservices. That was how our customers were actually interacting with us. Um, you know, for those that, that don't know the background, Etsy, uh, it's a large, uh, it's a public uh, company, it's a large e-commerce site, it does several billion in transactions uh, every year. So we were, as we were going through this transformation, our risk was really moving up to that layer. And at the same time, the vendors that we had on that side, which was really legacy web application firewalls, so things like uh, Imperva and Akamai and F5, they were not modernizing. They were really built for that classic data center waterfall era. Um, and they were causing more problems than they actually solved uh, in defending our applications. And so eventually we really got executive leadership buy-in that said, look, we know we're pushing the envelope on uh, the way that we're embracing DevOps and cloud and our, de our DevOps teams and our engineering teams, they've had to build a few products in-house around that. Hey, security team, 
we're actually going to give you the buy-in to go build uh, some products in-house around that as well. And so what we did on the security side is we had to build fundamentally different approaches to both defend our applications in a way that didn't cause a bunch of false positives and breaking our apps with the, the kind of legacy WAFs there. And at the same time, we really wanted to bring visibility to our development teams and our DevOps teams uh, in a way where they could actually become security self-sufficient. So the more that we went through that and the more that we kind of had to build internally, the more that we talked to our peers and our peers all started to be going through the same journey. And so they eventually were saying, hey, is there anything that we can buy? And myself and my co-founders were saying, you know, no, we're happy to share like our whole approaches and, and you know, the techniques and everything that we've done, but there's nothing that we've seen on the market. It's kind of why we've had to change things here. And so eventually uh, it, it got through our heads that, you know, if we really want to help the most number of organizations, just giving conference talks about it uh, isn't going to do the trick. What we really need to do is step out from Etsy, take those lessons learned and, and turn them into a product. And so that was a little over four years ago. And that's, uh, that's Signal Sciences. So that's actually the, the founding story of myself and my, my co-founders there. Um, so you flash forward to today, we provide a, um, what the marketing folks would call a, a next-gen WAF uh, and a RASP offering. We're kind of doing to the, the WAF industry what CrowdStrike and Silence and Carbon Black uh, and all these kind of modern endpoint protection systems did to the legacy antivirus space. So we're bringing a, a much more modern approach that's really based around the, the threats that we see today. Um, and we've been very fortunate that we've really been able to, able to help a, a very large number of organizations. I mean, the, really the leaders across DevOps and cloud and financial services and media, um, I unfortunately don't get to say exact names, but they're, they're exactly who you would expect. Um, are all clients of ours. And they're, they're using us to defend their web applications, their APIs, their microservices. Um, and they're using us to be able to really enable the shift to DevOps and cloud. So the area that you're really talking about is, that, you, that you're assisting in is that DevSecOps, is that correct? Yeah, we definitely see a lot of you know usage as part of a DevSecOps journey as well. I think DevSecOps is a term that means different things to everybody that you ask about it. Um, but what I think is kind of the unifying theme across all of them is we recognize that security can't be a blocker. It's got to be an enabler and it's got to be able to work in the, the DevOps and cloud environments that we see our enterprises on a journey towards. And so we are definitely a, a strong piece of that, uh, as well as you know, other things on, on different sides of the spectrum, like I mentioned, those kind of enterprise or end, endpoint security uh, folks and, and things like that. Do you think a DevSecOps approach would, would counter many issues the organizations find, though? Yeah, I think a, a DevSecOps approach, like, like we talked about a, a little bit before, I think that's kind of the, the tactic and so the important part is to get the strategy right first, which is that security understanding that its role is really shifting to be an enabler to the business because the business wants to move faster. And security is one of the, the top things on everyone's mind as the reasons why we might not be able to move faster. And so security recognizing that, look, at the end of the day, the business wins. Security doesn't win. And the business wants to move faster. So security really needs to find ways to enable that. And so a kind of DevSecOps mentality, which again, I hate to use terms like that just because it, it means different things to different people. But I think the commonality of that term is how do we start to bring in new tools and new techniques to really 
support that shift to enablement and to DevOps into cloud? How would a company go um, go about you know implementing you know su such a thing as as what you're describing there? Yeah, uh, I I don't <laughs> think we have that many hours in this interview, unfortunately. <laughs> I think that uh, there's entire companies built around consulting on on that and everything there. Um, I think the the real commonality, uh, and I'm, I'm going to sound like a bit bit like a broken record here, and I apologize, but it, it's something that I see the number one bit of commonality in organizations that do this well is that security used to see itself as the the gatekeeper and the group to say no. And what, what security is really shifting to is the group that enables the development teams and the DevOps teams and the, the broader business to be security self-sufficient. And security's role is, is to be able to say yes and, right? You want to do this? Yes, and here's how you can do it safely instead of no, that can't be done. Because if the security organization keeps saying no, what happens, and I'm seeing this happen in Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 enterprises, is if security just keeps saying no, the business doesn't stop. The business simply routes around security and says, okay, if you can't have you know, an executive level conversation with us about how we're going to enable this business initiative, we're still going to go get that business initiative done. We're just not going to invite security to the table to be part of the conversation. And it's not that we don't care about security. In fact, this is something that we're really seeing is that broader parts of the organization are actually getting their own security budgets because they're saying, look, we care about security of these new business initiatives and we're going to own it. We're going to own the security decisions for that because the, the kind of classic security organization is not modernizing, is just saying no. And so we can't involve them in these decisions anymore. And if they change, we'd love to invite them back to the table. But for now, they just can't be part of the conversation. And so I think that's the real risk that security organizations that are not modernizing, that's the risk that they're actually facing right now. And coming back to the organization, a couple of, que a couple of questions ago, you, you spoke about a firewall. And there's still some organizations that believe a firewall or a piece of software will, you know, may just be enough in terms of trying to cut corners. What's your view on this, on how much, you know, cybersecurity has changed and, you know, where companies you know, where companies really need to start focusing on if they're going to, you know, get to a more efficient state. Yeah, I, I think I think every enterprise on, on the planet recognizes that, you know, just buying buying one particular piece of security technology does not solve the problem. Right. I think mm. we've had you know, 20, 30 years of breaches showing exactly <laughs> to that point. Um, <laughs> I think that really there, there's kind of a couple things I think about there, right? There's the kind of holistic answer in thinking about, you know, security is a, a piece of people and technology and process and, and all of that. But I think the more, I think the more interesting bit that, that's really changed over the last five years or so and is really going to impact organizations for the next 10, 15 years is that secure, risk used to kind of live at the network layer and the infrastructure layer. And that's where you, you saw the rise of firewalls and IDSs and all these kind of classic security technologies that we always think of. But if you look at where breaches actually happen today, they've shifted out to the endpoint side of things. And that, so that's really phishing and things like that, targeting people's laptops and desktops and 
know, tricking them into giving up credentials there or executing malware or anything like that. And it shifted up to the application level, whether that's a, a web application that your customers use or an API that your partners use or things like that. And so where the risk has shifted, the focus has to follow. And so this is really the big shift that I see happening. And you're seeing in the security industry and market, the, the kind of product shift go along with that, which is that you know, for the endpoint side of things, you saw the rise of, like I mentioned before, CrowdStrike and Silence and Carbon Black and, and all of those folks. And then on the application side, that's really where, that's why we built Signal Sciences, is to give organizations a more modern way to defend their web applications and their APIs and everything like that, and really get beyond the challenges of legacy web app firewalls that, that existed there for you know 10 years, but never modernized. And so that's really, I think, the, the biggest shift that's happening on the, the security side is that risk has really shifted out to the endpoint, up to the application. At the same time, organizations are embracing cloud and DevOps and going on this kind of digital transformation. Things are changing even faster. And security has to both adapt to these new risk areas and do it in a way that enables the business rather than tries to function as a gatekeeper because ultimately it will be routed around if it tries to just say no. And you talked about application. What issues or vulnerabilities are you seeing quite that are very common around applications? Yeah, so, you know, historically, this was where people focused on, and I'll go in the weed for two seconds on this, but this is historically where people focused on and what are called OWASP injection issues. So things like SQL injection or cross-site scripting or things like that. Um, if you ask any CISO what actually keeps them up at night on the, the web side of things, it's very rarely that anymore. I mean, I can tell you what keeps me up at night is the account takeover sort of attacks against my customers. It's the application abuse and API misuse of my services there. It's application level DDoS and bots and things like that. Um, it's really this broader set of threats at the web layer. And then, of course, the classic SQL injection and cross-site scripting and, and those sort of issues. But I think that as the risk has increased at the, the web layer, it's done that for two reasons. One is the number of these different threats has really expanded. So all those that I just talked about of application abuse and account takeover and things like that. But at the same time, the, the data has really shifted up there as well. And if you go back for any enterprise and you go back 10, 15 years, their website was really just a, a static asset. It was a marketing website that had marketing literature and you know a phone number to call us and things like that. If you flash forward to today, their website or their mobile app and the API backing that is one of the primary ways in which they interact with their customers. And so that's where the, the data lives. Um, and that's where the, the really risk lives from that side as well. Um, you, you go back to that, that famous, uh, what was it, the famous uh, bank robber quote of, you know, why do you rob banks? It's That's where the money is. You know, yes. Why do you attack web applications? Well, that's where the data is. Exactly. No, I love that point. I think that's such a, yeah. <laughs> such a uh, you know, famous quote that relates still to so much. So what techniques do you use to detect a vulnerability? Yeah, for me, so, I mean, there's individual, like, super in the weeds techniques and, and all of that, and I'll, I'll save everybody uh, being bored to tears on that one. But if you are interested, <laughs> I, I've, I've done a bunch of black hat talks on that and everything, and, and maybe we can post some links along with the, the podcast there, or feel free to just contact me on, on that side. Um, I think the bigger, the real lesson learned about um, what do you do there as far as really trying to mitigate and defend against vulnerabilities 
uh, in your applications are that first recognizing that they're always going to exist, right? The, the previous focus on the security side has been trying to eliminate uh, bugs before that software gets shipped. And that's not wrong. Obviously, we want to uh, really reduce the number of issues in software before it's it shipped, but it's only half of the picture because we, we all recognize that there's always going to be vulnerabilities. So how do we get coverage over those and how do we get uh, visibility into where and how our attackers are actually attacking us and get that visibility into the hands of the developers and the DevOps teams themselves so that they can really be security self-sufficient. Um, this is a big lesson that, that we had to learn in-house going through the early days of that the DevOps and cloud shift is it's really the lesson learned uh, that the application performance uh, monitoring the management industry learned years before. So the rise of companies like AppDynamics or New Relic or Datadog is that you took a previously isolated and specialized skill set. And the reason why those products and those approaches and those companies have been so successful is they took something that used to be specialized, kind of just like security, it's the parallel here, and they brought it to the development teams and DevOps teams where they could own their own, uh, they could be self-sufficient about the performance of the code and the applications that they were delivering. And so security is just really starting to learn that same lesson, which is if we can give visibility to the development teams and DevOps teams where they can own the security uh, of their own services, they can really start to be self-sufficient. And that's how we really think about you know, detecting vulnerabilities or really trying to mitigate issues in code and everything like that is it can't fall to the security team because they're always going to be orders of magnitude more developers and, and DevOps folks than there are the security team. And the security team can't scale. The number one thing that the security team can actually do to scale security in the organization is empower the development teams and the DevOps teams to really own it themselves. How do programs like internet bug bounty help to resolve the, those vulnerabilities that you may find? Yeah, so the internet bug bounty and, and just bug bounties in particular, and, and to be clear, when I mention bug bounties, I it's kind of a, I'm using it as a catch-all term. There are, there there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of nuance between different programs of full-blown bug bounties or responsible disclosure or Hall of Fame programs. All of these, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say bug bounties to mean all of them right now. But you know, for folks who have different programs, uh, I, I don't want them to to think that I'm just meaning the bug bounty in particular. But with that said, um, bug bounty programs are tremendously useful because they give you outside and continuous feedback into where your program is working and where it's not. And so the way I really think about it is. If the old model of security is, let's just try to eliminate all bugs before it goes to production and then throw that application out there and then that's it. We don't know when anyone's attacking it or when issues have been discovered in it. Um, you're really in for a, a very challenging world, I'll, I'll say to put it mildly. Um, and so where I really think about it is um, what defines a modern security program is the ability to have visibility into where your attackers are, are going and the ability for your development teams and DevOps teams to be self-sufficient on it, but at the same time, uh, that you're getting a continuous feedback loop. And that's where bug bounties really come in is as this nice continuous feedback loop to your organization to say, rather than just running a pen test once a year and getting some feedback out of that, you're able to do it continuously. And so I think what's important is that bug bounties and, and pen tests are really, um, 
additive controls. They're, they're very complementary controls because it frees you up to direct your pen test to very specific pieces and your bug bounties or your responsible disclosure programs or anything like that can really be much more widely scoped and be continuous ongoing feedback there across everything, whereas your pen test can be very finely directed as part of it. But it all comes part of this, this big shift uh, in the SDLC that we're all going through, which is that um, you need to have you need to be able to empower the development teams and DevOps teams to own the security of their own services. And you need to get continuous feedback as part of that, whether that's via bug bounty programs or Hall of Fame programs or responsible disclosure or whatever is right for your organization. There's a question that I saw when I was researching about yourself and it, and it was this, and I just want you to expand on it because I thought it was a very good question. To defend, to defend against vulnerabilities, do you prefer security by programming from within, or do you prefer protecting it from the outside? Ah, the answer is both, right? The answer, I think this has been a, a big challenge in the security industry is the last 20 years, I think one of the things that we've been the least effective at as an industry is that we've tried to pick only one of those, right? Whether that was hey, let's put a firewall down and then that will block all the bad people from getting access to anything. Or let's try to eliminate all the bugs from software before we release it. Um, and we've seen how ineffective that's been. I mean, it, it kind of, for a lot of reasons, it aligned with the way that we were building software and building networks at the time. But, you know, this is a young field uh, and it's a very rapidly adopting field. And I think this is one of the the painful lessons we've had to learn early on in the field is that just trying to take one of those approaches doesn't work. Uh, you really need to be much more holistic and you really need to be thinking about, okay, how can I make things as safe as possible before I create them, whether that's an application or a network or anything like that? How can I make it as safe as possible up front? But then how can I also protect it? And then also, how can I get visibility so that I know when someone has bypassed those protections and is actually attacking the service? And what I really need to do is get that out of the hands of just a security team and get that also in the hands of the people that are building and delivering the services. That's really the shift that we're going through overall as, as a industry and as enterprises in general. And I think this is really what's going to play out over the next 10 years or so is that is such a profound shift that it changes our whole strategy. It changes the products that we use. It changes the techniques and the tactics that we use as part of that. And so this is really the kind of generational shift that I think is going on in security right now. Where would a white hat hacker, or in, in other terms, a, uh, a ethical hacker, where would they fit into, mm -hmm. into this process? Yeah, so they, they fit in a lot of places. They really, they predominantly fit in kind of the, the feedback loop side of things. Uh, and they can also fit in the helping with the, the secure design side of things. Uh, I'd say those are the two major buckets. So the feedback loop side, that might be the pen test side, that might be a bug bounty side or something like that, really finding and reporting vulnerabilities. And then that was probably, I mean, flashing back to my, my pen test days years and years ago, um, and you know things have changed a bit since then, but that was probably half of my projects were that sort of thing, that for a client, they wanted us to come in, they wanted us to find vulnerabilities and give them a report of that. But the other half that you know was really very rewarding and in some cases much more rewarding was helping them design systems securely from the beginning or as securely as possible. And so that's really where I think 
the white hat or ethical hackers, you know, pen testers, security consultants, whatever label you want to use there. Those are the two buckets where I think they can be very effectively used is help avoid design mistakes up front and help discover issues um, at the, the other end of the spectrum there. But those are two pieces of a much larger overall uh, security program. Do you see more organizations turn into to, to white hat hackers? Oh, absolutely. I mean, whether that's pen test or bug bounty or anything like that, I, I think there's tremendous value for almost any organization on the planet there. Now for the million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> How do you see cybersecurity evolving in the next five years? Yeah, um, I, I think that's where I kind of bring together a bunch of the, the things that I've, that I've been saying here throughout. So, it, you know, for those listening, if you want to roll your eyes at me at this point, because I sound like a broken <laughs> record, uh, by all means, please do. Um, but this is really, we are shifting from a discipline and a, a piece of the enterprise that, that was really almost an outsourced function where the enterprise would say, we're going to build a new we're going through a new business initiative. We're going to build a new network or build a new software around that. Let's toss it over to the fence to security. They'll either say no or come back with a list of bugs that we have to fix before it can move on or something like that. We're shifting from that role in the enterprise to actually focusing on the, the enterprise is going to be changing faster and faster, right? The rate of change is actually increasing in this digital transformation and this cloud journey and DevOps journey. And so it's not just that we need to slightly adjust uh, you know, we can't just do a, a slight step change as part of that. We really need to go through a generational change in the way that we approach cybersecurity inside organizations. And some of that is from the shifting from blocker to enabler and really thinking about how do we say yes to these and really do it in a way that enables the business to move quicker. And some of that, it's how do we enable the rest of the business to be security self-sufficient uh, as part of uh, the way that they're changing in their journeys as well. Um, and it really, it's recognizing the fact that at the end of the day, the business is going to win. And so if security says, no, we're not, you know, they're going to stick their head in the sand and say, we're not going to do cloud because that's, that's too, you know, insecure. Um, the reality is the business is going to go there. They just might stop talking to security about it. So the most effective security organizations I see, like the 80% the that are doing this successfully are the ones who are really recognizing that the business is going through a generational change right now and security has to go through a, a corresponding change as well and really has to go from this blocker to an enabler and focusing on making the rest of the business security self-sufficient perfect now zane what i didn't tell you was that i finished <laughs> the podcast with the same 10 quickfire questions <laughs> all right okay is he ready well this should be fun yeah let's uh let's see it <laughs> okay this is just to get to know you. So what turns you on professionally? Uh, I think new challenges and, and new problems and really finding unique ways to solve those. Actually, you know, whether it's a new problem or whether it's an old problem, I think finding creative ways to solve challenges that are really a blend of technology and people, uh, that's always been the most exciting bit of security to me. What turns you off? Um, I think kind of the just the the classic security cliches um, of really for me it's it's security not modernizing and security really focusing on 
this blocker mentality is the the only way to do security. Uh, that's something that I just really feel security has to adapt to enable the business shift that we're all going through. How do you unwind? Uh, I really enjoy traveling, uh, actually. So I, I'm really fortunate that I, I have a career that also lines up with that uh, and that, um, that I'm really able to travel, that I'm able to meet new interesting people all the time. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky in that regard. What profession other than your own would you like to try? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, if uh, if Anthony Bourdain wanted to trade jobs with me for a week, I, I don't think I'd, I'd tell him no on that one. That I'd get to travel and eat new food and try new drinks all over the world and meet new people. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, I'd, I'd, I'd probably still be pretty interested in security. Sounds good. Sounds great to me. What activity gives you the most energy? Um, I think learning from other people and, and chatting with other CISOs and other board members and CEOs and, and learning how they're approaching similar problems. I think from a, from a high enough level, we're all really facing the same challenges. And so the more that we can all be helping each other and the more that we can be learning from each other, I it. it it's really exciting to me, and I, I think it's something that it's a, such a win-win situation for everybody involved that, that I think it's great. Who is your biggest inspiration? Oh, I've, I have a ton of those on the, the security side. Um, you know, I think folks like uh, Alex Stamos, folks like, uh, I think Haroon Mir is incredibly smart. I think folks like... Uh, um, John Oberheide and Doug Song, the co-founders of Duo, have been an uh, uh, absolute inspiration of really building a security product company around solving real problems. Um, I think we could spend an hour on this list of people that I've really drawn inspiration from. <laughs> if you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be its subject? Uh, I'm gonna guess cybersecurity, but uh, who knows? Maybe it's uh, cat gifts. Uh, if we can combine that into one word. Okay, I think we're gonna have to come back to that one. Uh, you, you're <laughs> you're at your best when you are doing what? I think um, helping other organizations and other people solve the the challenges that we're all going through. Uh, I I really like solving large, complex problems and, and trying to help um, help come up with creative ways to do that. Um, and really, I, I see that both from you know, our own company and helping our customers. I see that internally with our, our company of you know, building a company with a, a culture that we're really proud of and with a product that we're really proud of. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's really it at the end of the day. Okay, two more questions to go. If today right. was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you impart? Uh, have fun. Life's too short to work with assholes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer I think I've ever heard <laughs> on that question. <laughs> awesome. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? Cool. Uh, there you saved you you saved the most interesting one for last there um <laughs> on purpose all right i'll keep 
I'll keep this one uh, lighthearted. I would say um, they were very impressed with the amount of uh, corgi and cat uh, pictures I was able to weave into very serious cybersecurity slides uh, through various talks. <laughs> Let's go with that. Very interesting. So you've got to talk to me about the cat thing. <laughs> hey, look, it's a, it's a, cybersecurity is a serious, serious enough topic, and we've all sat through so many dry and boring and long-winded presentations. <laughs> I think uh, this is something that uh, has both a lighthearted side and a serious side, which is that you know, if you want people to really take away from very serious topics, uh, it can't just be all cut and dried and, and boring. You have to make sure people have a good time as part of that. And really, I'd rather they come out of a security uh, presentation or talk or anything like that thinking, hey, I don't really remember the details of it, but I remember security was actually an interesting group to talk to, and we, we need to weave them in as part of our process rather than them trying to remember a specific detail about a, a code injection vulnerability or something like that. And so I really think, as with a lot of things, um, you know, weaving in uh, a bit of fun and, and really trying to uh, solve the larger goal, which is um, allowing security and making sure that security is part of the process in the first place. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to attack that, but on the presentation side, uh, that can sometimes be as dumb as putting in cat pictures into a, a talk in front of thousands of people, uh, thousands of peers in the cybersecurity industry, which is certainly something I've done plenty of times. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. That's that's uh, that's excellent. I love that you're uh, you're trying to be different. But Zane, please tell our lovely people how they can connect with you and reach you. Absolutely. So um, please feel free to drop me a, a note on any questions or anything like that. I, I I love chatting with other folks, both inside and outside the industry. So my email is pretty straightforward. It's Zane at signalsciences.com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, where I am not creatively named uh, as Zane Lackey, uh, so <laughs> my full name. Um, and uh, yeah, please feel free to reach out. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe, and for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.